in three, two, one. In today's competitive marketplace, it's essential that professionals communicate their value and expertise with confidence in order to elevate the professional profile, stand out from the crowd, and attract growth opportunities. If you want to learn how to level up your personal branding and get the recognition you deserve, then you're going to get some great insights from my guest who is a professional business positioning expert. Join me now for my conversation with Alejandro Senoya. Alejandro, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. I'm really delighted. We're going to be talking about marketing, positioning, how we can do personal branding, how we can expand what we're offering in the marketplace, just everything about us, our brand values, all things branding and all things personal branding. And we got lots to dive into. But Alejandro, before we get there, let's talk about your background. First of all, where are we talking to you from today? Uh, Houston, Texas. Good old Houston, Texas. And you've got a very interesting background. So let's start there. Let's go back. And before you got to Houston, let's tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your story and how you got there. Absolutely. If there's anything I've learned in life is that you got to keep moving forward no matter what and embrace every opportunity for growth and learning. And part of that is because I face economies with 1 million percent inflation. And that's not a mistake. If you're listening, it's not a hundred, not a thousand, not one million percent, also more than 30% GDP drop. And we now have the, what I believe is the highest ever refugee crisis of this continent. That of course is Venezuela. We've broken many records that are not good records. And I'm one of those that had to leave because of what was happening there. And I was lucky enough to get accepted into business school here at the University of Houston in during that time, I embraced all the opportunities for growth. Part of that was transforming myself. Many people don't know this. I know me now here in the US, but I was not a good student. I almost dropped out of college. I didn't see the point. I barely made the grades that were needed to pass the courses. And then here I did the opposite, going to every class, doing all the coursework, extra, whatever was needed. I joined Toastmasters. I joined an improv comedy class. I volunteer for any professional organization. Whatever was needed, I was there. Events, networking. I learned about LinkedIn and prospecting and building your profile and social media, you name it. It was a lot of work during those years. And part of that led me to meeting people with the same mindset and the same values during that time at business. And I was mentored by a classmate who was one year ahead of me. He was able to graduate at the top of his class and he just gave me the blueprint. Hey, if you do these things, good grades, network get involved, that would probably happen for you. I was able to do it. And then after that, he invited me to join his marketing consulting company. So we did that. We applied everything we learned, right? Like go network, tap your the people that you've met, go to networking events, speaking engagements, and, and try to get clients that way. We were able to build a business up to a quarter of a million dollars in revenue, in annual recurring revenue, in less than two years. And then if anyone that's listening, it's an immigrant that that adds some other fun challenges and components sure. to life. And part of that was at some point when you're changing status, you have to change work permits and it doesn't always arrive right away. So I had my work permit as a student and I was changing status. I had to wait until the other arrived. And for that time, it was illegal to work. So I had to stop everything. And you have no idea if it's going to take a week or six months. 
in my case, fortunately or unfortunately, it took six months. It took the full period. And then I had to start all over again. That's when I started my current business, Latin Presarios. I started from zero again and did the same thing, right? Reach out to your network, put a networking events. And I did that again in less than two years, six figures in revenue. And I was exhausted. I know we've talked about this before, hidden record. You love it because you're an extrovert. But as an introvert, right. it takes so much energy. Um, and people confuse introverts. We're not shy. We just need to be alone to recharge. Extroverts get energy by being with other people. So right. I thought there has to be a better way. I can do this for sure. I can play with my extrovert heart and do prospecting, go to events, speaking, but this is not sustainable. So during that time, for those listening, you cannot see all the books behind me. I'm an avid reader. And during that time in business school, I stumbled upon several books. One of them was Marcus Sheridan, They Ask You Answer. And another one, I know you've talked about it in the podcast when you had uh, Francis Jones, I think that you talked about Donald Miller and building a story brand. I stumbled upon those books. I love the methodology and the mindset. I embraced it. And I just went all in on content. I embraced the opportunity to build a business through blogs and through content. That's what I've been able to do in the past few years. And that's what I do now for my clients. I help them become the go-to experts in their niche by creating content for them that allows them to attract, educate, and convert strangers into clients. First of all, congratulations. And the, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is, hey, I really like your story. I love your story. You immigrated from a country that blew up. Venezuela just blew up their oil industry, their politics. You brought your family. You had to go through all the obstacles and hurdles. You came into the country. You've worked hard. You brought your work ethic with you and you dived in. And then you had to obviously focus on the language and learn that. So you had to overcome a lot of obstacles to start your business and then be successful and then help your clients do it. So the example I use, and I'm an immigrant also, is, hey, if we can do it, you can do it. And that's our audience members. Since everyone has different obstacles, different issues, but those are challenges to you. And you've got a formula, you've created a framework because you had to. And now you've got a framework that you share with others and help them grow their business and put it on autopilot and basically implement a content strategy that turns views and readers into clients. And so we're gonna delve into that and we'll get into it. Let's talk about personal branding overall. Why is it so important? And is it as important as ever, or are we seeing some changes in that direction? It's interesting because I've read a, a ton of bios and we recently did a deep dive into Leonardo da Vinci's life and, and we wrote a case study about it and how there are many different variables you can optimize to be successful professionally, right? You can optimize for fame, you can optimize for fortune, and you can optimize for freedom. And I think people confuse when they think about personal branding. There's definitely that aspect of it, the fame component. When people think about personal branding, they think about famous celebrities or even famous business owners, let's say anybody on Shark Tank, that they basically become more of a celebrity than an expert. And that is just one way if you optimize for fame. But you can also optimize for fortune, and that's the case of some business owners, but you can also do it for freedom. But the way I think about personal branding is making sure that the people you interact with leave with the right impression. Everybody has a reputation, and that happens naturally. But to me, the way I see it, personal branding is the conscious effort of making sure that you are building the right reputation with anyone you encounter. And there are many different ways to do that. You can do it through speaking, through content, and especially nowadays with the opportunities that we have with the internet, it's 
become a tool that anyone who's willing to do the work and who wants to play the long game can actually build a personal brand that allows them to optimize for any of those three variables. You can optimize for um, fame, for sure, with virality and, and all those components of social media. You can optimize for fortune. There's a, a lot of one person businesses that are making millions of dollars if they do it the right way. But you can also optimize for freedom and free up your time to pursue your hobbies and read books and write and do anything else you want to do. Yeah. I'm curious if they're mutually exclusive. In other words, can we build for a little fame? Can we build for hey, good income security, recurring revenues, and can we build for freedom as well? So my values, for instance, freedom is a big one, but also to monetize wherever we can. But I use the content to monetize my core competency, which is speaking. So uh, we create the content, which creates the credibility and authority. I use the credibility authority to get speaking engagements, the speaking engagements where we make our money. That gives me the freedom then when I'm not on stage to do other things and follow, pursue other hobbies. All right. I think it's important that we ask ourselves, what is it that we really want to do? And what is it that we really value? Because if you ask anyone, they would probably say that, of course, they want fame, fortune, and freedom. And those three are related, right? Let's look at two examples. Let's say Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He has fame, fortune, and freedom. But if you look at what he's doing, he's clearly optimizing for either fame or fortune. He has many different brands that he's created he with works, his name. He works hard. Yeah, He's working all the time on social media. He's given cars and houses and it's clearly all produced. That's a lot of work. Then yeah. you look at someone like, let's say, Daniel Day-Lewis, he's clearly optimizing for freedom. You don't see him being the face of any brands. You don't see him doing a lot of interviews. He comes in, great movie. And of course, he is famous and he has a fortune because of being a great actor, but he is clearly optimizing for freedom. I just want to pick good roles. This is what I want to do. So you can do it in many different ways and many different combinations. What I think it's important is that we realize what is something that I can do for a long period, or if not for the rest of your life, what is something out of these variables that will create a positive feedback loop so that I can maintain it for the rest of my life. So what a great explanation. You know, it reminds me as you're talking about it, I work out and I monitor my nutrition and I focus on macros. So I focus on fat, protein, and carbs. And those balances change in order to put me in balance, but my goal is to hit my macros, which then gets me the result of fitness and where I'm going. So this is almost like branding macros. You've got three areas to work on, fame, fortune, and freedom. And you set those percentages. You set those to meet your goals and your needs. And this is the vehicle to do it. So either way, the vehicle is going to be around content. How did you build your personal brand and reputation as you grew your business? So you came back, you had to go through the visa process, start over again, six months. You learned some things, obviously, from the past, what was sustainable, what wasn't. What did you do in order to get that ramped up quickly? So one of the things, and this is a story I share in many different places. One of the first moments I realized that you, knowing or not knowing, are building a personal brand was when I was in business school. So like we've talked about when I was there, I was all in, I have an obsessive personality. So I go all in on what I'm doing to achieve the goals. And part of that was not only doing what the program required, but going above and beyond. And that was going to events, conferences, they would sometimes have, if you were part of the organization, they would give you tickets. I remember I had my calendar all booked with small networking events or conferences in in one time, some classmates tell me, hey, what are you doing next week? We're planning a trip somewhere. And I thought, 
trip. Like we have all these different events. What are you talking about? No, it's a spring break. And I had no idea, no idea the spring break was a thing that it existed. And welcome to so, America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the program, right. like the program ends and I see a lot of my classmates on social media going to trips, taking trips and doing fun things together. And I start asking myself, I wonder, did I do anything wrong that they don't invite me? And am I not a fun guy? And then I realized that I do get invited by former classmates, but they invite me to speaking events. They invite me for projects. They invite me for professional related activities because not knowingly, that's the brand that I was building. Alejandro arrives on time. Alejandro delivers on his promise. Alejandro produces high quality work. So if you need something professional, you're probably going to think Alejandro. It's not that he's not a guy, but that's not the brand that I had during that time. So that was the first moment that I realized like, hey, if with your actions, with the way you are building, and then what I do is just amplify that. And I do it with content and I'll continue your analogy about working out and the macros. The way I think about it is there are many activities that you can use to build your personal brand, and build a business. But a lot of them are like cardio, where if you do them while you're doing them, you're burning calories. Those are great. You definitely need some cardio in your exercise regime. But if you build muscle, you will burn more calories in the long run. If right. you do strength training, it's kind of like compounding investment, right? Like you're burning calories as you're doing the exercise, then you build muscle. And in the long run, you're going to burn more calories. So that's the way I think yes. about content. So, so it keeps working. Your body, your metabolism, it's running 100%. Correct. So as we're having this conversation, there's probably people searching for personal branding coach, personal branding agency, personal branding specialist. And we rank number one for all of those. So they are having a conversation with me and learning about what we do as we're having this conversation. So that's the way I think about a personal brand is I want to do it in a way that it compounds, that I do a good job once, but it gives me returns for many years. Oh, excellent. When you're starting that, what a great philosophy. And you know that as you're talking, the fitness macros came to mind because that's exactly what it is. It's finding that balance and then mixing it up every once in a while as well and keeping the sustainability. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Alejandro. Senoya, what mistakes do you typically see when you work with your clients? Do small businesses make or clients make when they start their branding process? So a lot of them might read something, they want to save some pennies, so they try and do it themselves. And then the mistakes can be costly to recover because you've got a personal brand, whether you like it or not. 
It's whether you're intentional with your brand. And when you show up, when I'm dealing with you, that's your brand experience, whether you like it or not, whether you've designed it on purpose and with intent. So what mistakes do you typically see and what should we be doing to avoid those? Yeah. So let's get tactical here. And these are kind of like the low hanging fruits that make us look like rock stars whenever we come in with an engagement. I would say mistake number one is that a lot of people have hidden treasure in their websites and they have no idea, which is a ton of blogs that they wrote that are short and they're ranking probably in the second or third page of Google. And with a few changes, those blogs would rank number one. And that usually happens because the blog is just too short. They say, for example, let's say, and I'm going to pick on you because I, I did a little bit of research uh, before sure. the conversation. Example, so let's yeah. say you have a great blog, which is selling in tough times. And in tough times happens all the time. Tough times can happen during a pandemic, during a recession, during a financial crisis like 08, right? All the time we're seeing tough times and it's important to have the skills to be able to sell during that time. So in that blog, you mentioned four activities that you have to do. Become a business consultant to your customers, be innovative, do your research, and determine your priorities, right? So yeah. that blog, if you look at Google Search Console, that tells you, hey, where is it ranking? I'm sure it's showing up for some keywords already because the content is good, but it's baseline. That's mistake number one. Expand. Make sure that you're being thorough. You're covering examples, stats stories. I'm sure you have a story where you have been able to help someone become more of a consultant to their customer. Right. The questions you taught them how to ask, hey, they were doing this before, and that's what they're doing now to become a consultant for their clients. Hey, determine your priorities. This is what they were doing now. Before, no priorities. This is what I would recommend. Here's my list of priorities. Here's my list of how to give, I don't know, a number to each of the things you have to do and prioritize. Yeah. Do your research. I'm sure you have some tools that you recommend. So just that's mistake number one. They have what I would call good baseline content that it's hidden in the best place to get stuff so nobody can find them, which is the second and third page of Google. And just by expanding with either tips, stats, before and after, examples, templates, just with that expanding, that already, that's a low-hanging fruit for us coming in, expanding, and it suddenly starts getting clicks. So then the second one that I would add is making sure, in, and I want to make sure I get it right because we call them indirect, you call them transitional call to actions, right? Yeah, transitional, that's right. Yeah, on every blog, every piece of content on your website, you should have a direct call to action and an indirect or transitional call to action. Right. So let's keep going down that example of the selling in tough times. There, we might want to have the 10 top questions that you should ask if you want to be more of a consultant with your clients or download my spreadsheet to set up priorities for your business, right? Or download my swipe file with the best research tools that I recommend so that you know who is moving further along down your customer journey. A lot of people are going to read that. Maybe not everybody's ready to take the next step, but those who download that, you're going to get assigned. You can nurture them with information and you know what they're looking for. And then you always have to have a direct call to action. Hey, book a call. If you have a course on that, for example, hey, just put it there. Maybe someone is ready to take the next step. They've been visiting your website for a while. So definitely those two. And then the third would be making sure if you, when you're starting your personal branding journey through content is to pick the bottom of the funnel keywords. Because if you're starting, let's say you want to say, hey, Alejandro, I want to start 
my personal branding journey, I want to write up a blog on my philosophy about sales. What is sales and why should you do it? I'll tell you no, because that's a very top of the funnel keyword. We don't know. Maybe some people are searching for that or ready to buy, but I would tell you, hey, what is the cost of a sales training program? What is the cost of CRM tools, right? Let's look at what is it that people are searching for when they are closer to making a buying decision. So in our methodology, we focus on creating content for buyers. The time to create content for an audience is later on once your funnel is working and you're booking calls consistently. But I would recommend first, because then you're going to see results much faster if you focus on those keywords. And then later on, if you want to scale and you want to reach more people, then you can focus on expanding, going middle of the funnel, top of the funnel, and channeling people with those direct and indirect call to actions to your other assets. So the low-hanging fruit is focus on the bottom of the funnel. In other words, if they're about ready to make a decision and purchase, you want to be attacking it there. So five mistakes people make when choosing a CRM instead of five benefits of a CRM, they already know that. Or why use a CRM would be maybe the top of the funnel. Five mistakes to avoid, you know, having to cost a mistake around the CRM. Then here, download the cheat sheet. Boom. That's going to draw more attention, more clicks, if you will, than the top of the funnel. That's actually a really good insight. That's very good. Is that right? Would that be a good example of that? Yeah. In again, of course, we would have to do a little bit of research on that, but sure, it would be sure. what else would be the questions that people are asking? Because I know you do training on how people can become. So maybe what is a pain point that they're experiencing? Let's say they're reaching out, they're doing prospecting on LinkedIn and it's not working. Prospecting messages on LinkedIn, right? Or samples, yeah. Yeah. templates, because they're already doing the work. You don't have to convince them that they should be doing prospecting on LinkedIn. They're just not getting the results. So Give if them you tools to help them do that better, right? Like if they're looking for that, you yeah. show up and then they're like, wow, Michael knows what he's talking about. Look at these examples. This is how you shouldn't do it. This is how you should do it. Oh, maybe they go even and implement it and they get, wow, it really works. I use this template that Michael shared with me and now I'm getting a lot more people to reply back. Let me see what else Michael is offering. No, that's brilliant. That's really good. How relevant is blogging for 2023? It started off where we had the website blogs. And when you call blogging, blogging can be on LinkedIn. It can be on Facebook. It can be on any of those platforms. For instance, we might use an app to bring it into WordPress and take it there. Does blogging in your mind cover all of that? And B, is it as relevant as ever? And what's the right amount of words that is the sweet spot for blogging that you're going to get the reading? Yeah, that's a great question. I would recommend blogging on your website first because your website is an asset. There are tools that can even quantify, let's say you want to sell your business at some point. And when you're doing that, of course, they're going to look at cash flow. They're going to look at your assets and liabilities and many other components. But basically, there are different ways in which valuation companies can put a number on a company. If you have traffic through your blogs, that's something else that can be quantified because right you can look at what it would cost to get that traffic with ads. There are tools that do that. So for example, our website, I think generates between 10 to, depending on the month, 10 to $20,000 through this traffic. So mm -hmm. I could argue if I would be selling my business, just the traffic portion could be worth $240,000 or more, depending on the evaluation numbers on that sure. end. But that's why I recommend start with your website. Later on, you can expand. I know there's people who blog on 
the Forbes page and they become a contributor and that helps them with trust and recognition. Some people do it on Medium because they have a higher domain authority and you can rank faster there than on your website. So there are many different places, but I would say on your website, that is the most important one. And I love also the component of your question about is it still relevant? And I would say like most things, right? Like people said that coal was not going to be relevant when oil was discovered. And I think still 20 or 30% of the energy of the world is generated through coal. Sure. And it, it's the same with even direct mail letters, right? Like people say, no email, that still works. It's just maybe less of a percentage of the whole cake, but it's the same with blogs. It's going to keep working if you do it the right way. The challenge is that now more people are doing it. So your blogs need to be better. In the past, maybe that 200 to 500 to 800 word blog was enough. Now you have to be a little bit more thorough if you want your blogs to rank. So in terms of length, the answer should be as long as it's needed to explain the topic. I recommend at least 1800 words with a caveat that you might have a blog. This would be part of the strategy. You might have some blog, but the goal of the blog is to, and I'm using this blog to attract people, but there might be other blogs that you write and you put later on in your customer journey that are just to save you time. And those might be a little bit shorter. So for example, let's say you're doing your sales calls and 90% of the time you get the same 10 questions. What is the process to get started? Can I pay with credit card or this, right? I'm sure there's yeah. some questions that you get sure, over and over again. Yeah, so sure. you could write a blog and you send that as homework. You're probably going to have these questions. We get them all the time. So I just wanted to send them ahead of time that we can focus on really getting to know each other and see if we're a good fit instead of spending time on, on some things that we can answer before we step on that conversation. So it might be a super short blog with some of the questions that you're going to get. You created. It's not going to rank. Not a lot of people are going to visit it, just the people who are moving forward in your customer journey. So in that case, that would be an exception. It might be shorter than the average, but it's because you're leading people to it. And, and I would say about that is that any blog that you write, if you are not either getting it to rank so that people read it, promoting it through social media, through ads, through your email list, or making it a destination with those transitional call to actions, it should not exist. Because if you write a blog that nobody's reading, you're Waste just time. wasting words. Yeah. Yeah. Wasting time. What are the key components for a successful blog post? What are the must-haves in every post? I would say first, we would need to determine goal of that blog post, like we just talked about. Sure. Is this sure. a blog that we're going to use to attract people? Is this blog that we're going to use to educate? Or is this a blog that we're going to use to convert? Right. And each of those would have different elements. But in general, you want to ask yourself, how is my buyer searching for this information? When in the buyer's journey are they going to need this information? And once you start asking yourself those questions, you can determine, okay, what is it that I need to put here so that I can help them solve their questions? And that might be part of that is doing research because Google is really good at understanding intent. And as an example, I was writing a blog the other day. It's kind of like meta, but it it was a blog about blog services. And what I noticed is that in my head, oh, blog services, it's exactly what we do, writing blogs for other people. Sure. When I put that keyword on Google, I noticed that what came up was Squarespace. And I realized like, oh, people that are searching for this, they want a tool so they can blog. They're not looking for someone else to write their blog. And I look for blog writing services. 
And then all these companies that do what we do showed up. So, oh, blog writing service is not the same. So I think it's important, whatever your idea of something is as an expert, we sometimes get so much into the weeds that we don't know how other people are searching for it. So come up with the brainstorming, validate with Google, see if what's coming up, it's a competitor, a direct and indirect competitor. If it is, it's a good sign. Then I would also recommend including as many as you can of the questions that usually pop up on Google in the frequently asked questions. So people also ask this. That's another one that if you do so, you can even get featured in those snippets that the answer is provided right there. There's definitely a lot of SEO components that you need to include with your H1s, H2s. Those are things that drive most people nuts. Like I'm happy to do content and create the content, but now to go figure out all the SEO on it, go to figure out content, what should be headed, whatever. Now it's looking like a chore. And so your company, for instance, and you guys provide services where you can, for instance, let's say I wanted to write and I'm sure you have different relationships with different clients, but let's say I was really good at getting the drafts out to you. You can take those or even finished pieces and then turn around and optimize them for SEO. And so if I'm a subject matter expert and I've got the content, write out the first or second draft, send in those 1800 words, give them to you, and your team can get those things published and optimized so that they have the best chance of success. Is that about right? Correct. And then also we get involved with the outlining process because that's important we do all the research. Part of it is the SEO game. It's kind of like a car race where you have to be aware of who else is competing in the size of their engine. So you want to make sure, hey, do I have a BMW and I'm competing with an F1 car? Maybe in some cases, if you have a really good pilot and the other car has a really shitty pilot, you're going to be able to win. And and we've certainly done so with Entrepreneur Forbes and some some of those big publications for some keywords, but that would be the first step, making sure that we are in a race that we can win. And then the other component would be looking at who else is in the podium. The top three searches usually get the majority of the clicks. So I want to look at what is there and what is covered to make sure that the one that we write, it's more thorough. So you say, hey, I do some research, I have some keywords, and we get together and we talk about, hey, Michael, this is what I'm seeing in the market. What do you see on your side? Because you're going to get insights that Google is not going to have. And that's, that's kind right. of like where the magic happens because you're right. talking to clients all the time. So together we come up with the topics, I validate, and then we build the outline, which is with that research that I just mentioned. I present that to you and then you add, oh, this is great. And I make some suggestions here. I, I would recommend a story, maybe a testimonial, right? So together we build the outline and normally we even write it because there's some basic knowledge that I don't want you, the expert, spending time doing that. Right. right. We can give you the key points or say, here's the subject. Here's the key learning objectives. Here's what we want to teach. Go ahead and make something out of this. And then let's make sure it's ranking. So sure. just to unpack that a little bit, because there's some good gems in there. So basically, before you write the blog, if you've got an idea or brainstormed a number of topics that you're going to do, you can go and research those, see which ones pop up when you do the Google search to see, look at the top three or get on page one at least. Go look at the quality of that particular post. And then at the end of the day, build a better mousetrap. So it's got better content, better suggestions, but you got to know who those top three are. And then you have the tools to go in and look at how did people get there? What were the keywords that got you to those top three, which would pretty much be in your search terms. 
And then you can see whether that's an area that you can compete or not. Most people know who are doing this, that there's a cost to whether it's an ad click or to pop up on the search. If you're clever with it, can you compete against the big guys for a small coach or if you're a small entrepreneur? Is there ways to defeat them? Are there ways to get around them and at least show up on the podium? Oh, absolutely. There are in the keys doing that research, because for example, let's say we want to write a topic on, and this is like beta, but let's say we want to write a, an SEO guide. The best SEO guide out there, Moss wrote it, and it's just amazing. It's like a mini book. It has images, videos that I would say, don't even try. There's no way, <laughs> right? Find another line of work. Yeah. Yeah. But there are a lot where it's a Ferrari, but they don't have a good pilot. So there are a lot of articles where the number one ranking page is a known page. Let's keep picking on the publication. Entrepreneur or Forbes is ranking, yeah. right? But it's just a listicle. Just here are 10 things that you can do to sell in tough times. And I would look at that and I would tell you, Michael, we can definitely beat them. We can definitely beat them. Let's okay. add images. Let's add video. And it's just about presenting better information. It might take longer. I usually, I pick fights that we can win quickly so that we can see the results, but that could be like a long-term strategy. Hey, definitely let's go for this keyword. We know it's going to take a little bit longer while we go for something else. And, and the term is search difficulty. So if it's lower than 40, you can quickly get there if you have a decent domain authority. So those are the ones that I recommend. Hey, let's start with this because we can see our blog get to the top of the search results really quickly. Then the other one, which is interesting to your point about maybe being smart about beating them. And this is super interesting. I've seen a lot of companies do it well, which is looking at the titles that they have, the headlines that show up when you do the search. So let's say we're looking, selling in tough times and the top result is 10 steps to take to sell in tough times. The other one is three tools that you can use in something else, right. right? So we can say 15 steps you can take or 10 tools. So definitely looking at that and, hey, let's offer more or let's add some type of result, three tools you can use to increase your sales 100% in, in a quarter, right? Like so we're a little bit numbers. better. And then maybe we're number four, but people see us, they start clicking, Google notices that, and then they start bumping you up because of that. So yes, there's definitely, and I've seen a lot of brands do this really well, which is, I think Canva is one of them that they had a campaign where basically they had a keyword for Canva alternatives. They had an ad that was Canva has no alternatives. We are something like that, that I thought it was yeah, brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And that's really the key is doing the homework, but it begs another question. How often should coaches, businesses, entrepreneurs be publishing new blogs? As you're doing your homework, your research, you're going to find out the key words that can apply to a whole strategy and a whole campaign. It could apply to multiple blogs. So you go through the research once when you go down that particular road and we might have six blogs in there. We might have eight blogs. You're not going to do that on every single blog, but you probably are when you're searching for the keywords and what you're going to use. But when you already have an idea where and how we can do that and how we can beat it, what's an appropriate cadence to do it? I don't have time to read blogs every single day, but I do read the ones I want to read. Is it once a week, a couple of times a month? How thorough should we be? So I would say it depends on the resources you have available to make sure that you can create high quality content. And Marcus Sheridan and his methodology recommends at least three per week. I would say that's a good number, but it's a lot. If you have a small team, if you don't have the budget, it might be too much. So I would say start with some type of low-hanging fruit 
that you can position quickly and start seeing results so that it becomes correct. So you can build on it. And the other thing would be that, right? Make sure that you are whatever the number is high quality because you can do a few, for example, in this course happens in, in every field, but 80% of the traffic is going to come from 20% of the blogs. And it happens the same with our website. The majority of the traffic, we get it from blogs that we wrote two to three years ago. And of course, I want to keep adding and I want to keep covering, but we have a blog that is best personal branding agencies, best personal branding coaches, and best personal branding consultants. We wrote those two years ago. We update here and there some numbers, but the real work of writing it was done a while ago. And we just got to make sure we're number one. And I just monitor whenever we go down, hey, let's add something else. Oh, this competitor added this. Let's add that frequently asked question as well. But if you do really good work with a few blogs, you can definitely start seeing results. And then it's a matter of having a dashboard to quantify the numbers and say, hey, I have two blogs that are ranking well. I'm booking one really good call per month. Then you decide, okay, do I want more calls per month? How many more blogs do I need to write? Right. My goal is always, whenever we do a blog and it's what I tell people and what I tell my clients, I want you to get a 2X, 3X, 4X ROI so that it's a no-brainer for you to keep paying me to keep writing blogs for you. If we do that, it's a positive feedback loop. You paid me, I'm getting you way more clients than what you paid me so you can invest again in another topic. And we just keep doing that. Yeah, it should Correct. be a profit center, not a cost center. So let's say you come out with a really good blog, it ranks well, and then it sounds like you can go back in and maybe just revamp that a little bit, make some tweaks to it, maybe change a few things and then repost it. And under maybe a different title with some different tweaks to it and add to it. Because not everyone's gonna read all the content and then you can reuse some of that. again. You can reuse it. You can just sometimes update it. Google likes that when you update it. Let's say the right. best tools you can use to 2022, then the next year, just change the date and make an update. Maybe there's a new tool or something, but it's, it's kind of like taking care of a garden. The really tough job is at the beginning when you're preparing everything in the soil and bringing the plants and, and doing all of that. After that, it's like, hey, let's make sure they get enough light. Make sure you're putting enough water Nurture in the nutrients. the blog. You're nurturing yeah. the blog. So no, the, that- the heavy lifting is at the beginning. The rest is just having dashboards. We have different dashboards where I'm monitoring that all the time. And if we notice, hey, we used to be number one here, we're dropping. Let's take a look and see what's going on. Sometimes it's just things that are out of everyone's control and we don't even know what Google is doing. But sometimes you can tell that, hey, this person, this other company updated their blog. Let's do the same. All right. So as far as outcomes, you've had a number of years now to work with different businesses and you've worked with people, you've seen them from a before and then going through your process. And this way we'll talk about your business a little bit. And what kind of transformations and outcomes are you seeing? Is there an example or have you got something on the top of your head where here's the kind of client, here's their business, here's what we did, and here's what they're currently enjoying? Absolutely. And I'll share this one that is top of mind because it happened recently. I met Candice. She is a social selling expert. She helps people do better prospecting on LinkedIn. And we met on LinkedIn. I had her on my podcast. We had a great conversation. We definitely had this similar values. We kept the conversation going. And then I helped her with one of the blogs. Same thing, right? Like she's good. She has some blogs that are even ranking and doing well, but I just helped her make some tweaks to make sure that the blog ranked number one. The blog we did that. We did the direct and indirect call to actions. Let's make sure we're directing to the next steps in, I think in less, in these are not typical results, so no promises, but I think in less than four weeks, he reached out and said, hey, this is the first ever 
person that signs up for my program that is not a first or second connection on LinkedIn. This is someone that I've never spoken to. They didn't even book a call. They bought the program directly. This has never happened before. So those are the kind of things that can happen. People are searching and people buy that way. I know that for some people, it might be difficult to believe and we're not in the business of convincing people that this is something you have to do. There are many different ways to grow a business, but if you've seen it work, if you're looking into it, it can definitely create those type of results where there's a, a complete stranger that knows nothing about you. They've never seen you speak at an event because Candice, she's a great speaker, she goes to events and that's how she meets people. But this was a complete total stranger and it's been happening several times after that because of that component of being there when people are searching for something, sharing unbiased information and things like that can happen. Like another example of that might be, and I see all the time, someone, let's say an expert on painting lists the 10 best painters in Houston and they put themselves number one. And I say, that's the biggest mistake you can make because you're eroding. I know trust is a big component in your becoming preferred equation. You are eliminating the trust. That's such a biased statement. Right. So for example, right. we don't list ourselves. I don't list myself in any of those top best agencies, consultants. I'm like, hey, here's the information. These are competitors. I do the same thing. You connect with me, great. If not, here are all the other options. And people are doing that research thinking that they don't. Is, is not really being smart about what they're doing. The, the really good buyers are doing that research and they have the information and they have the pricing information. So if you serve them with your blogs, like in those blogs, I list typical customers, pricing, who they work with, who are the best fit, which niches they focus on. So someone can make a really informed decision by looking at those assets. So that's why Google trusts us and then people trust us. So I would say, yeah, those are some of the elements that, that can happen when you do it the right way, that you can actually start converting total strangers into clients without even speaking to them. No, perfect. Absolutely perfect. And that totally makes sense. Your trust and your credibility. Hey, this has been great. All things related to using blogs and growing. Now, what's the best place for people to get hold of? We're going to put all your information in the show notes. What's the best website for them to come in? I know you do offer initial consultations with clients, but how can we find you? Yeah, latinpresarios.com. That's an easy way. I'm on LinkedIn, Alejandro Sanoja, super active there. But I really love it when people find us when they really have a, a problem. So I would say, if you're curious about any personal branding topics, search for those because you're likely going to find us. And it's way more magical when you show up with the answer in that way. So definitely yeah. come Alejandro Sanoja, but I'll be there. Whenever you're ready to move forward with your personal brand, it's likely that you're going to find us. That's awesome. Aleandro, thank you for sharing your time, your insights. Uh, lots of value here. Lots of great, I call them value bombs. They're just perfect. People can use this right away. And again, we'll have everything in the show notes. And uh, hey, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you for having me, Michael. My pleasure. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.